If you want to turn there with me in your Bibles and in your notes. We know Lord, the Lord's, you know, at this point, given the victory in Jericho after a setback and a reboot and a repentance and cleaning out of the camp, he's given them victory in AI. And then last week we saw one of the people groups that Israel was supposed to go in and eradicate from the land. God had a judgment on these nations that had rejected him over and over again for not a short time, but really hundreds of years that really worship devils and um, just practice abominable things. God had called Israel to go in and to, again, judge them. You know, that land had been given to Israel, uh, to Abraham some 400 plus years earlier. And now it was time for them to go in and claim that land, a land of milk and honey, as well as to be an instrument, again, of judgment of the Lord. But one of those groups, the Gibeonites, they saw what was going on, and it says they were afraid. And they had and exhibited a fear of God and recognizing we, we, need to, we need to do something here to save ourselves. Now, the way they went about it was not the right way, and yet we kind of looked at this from two different angles last week. It wasn't the right way, but there's no doubt a sincerity in them, and God definitely met them where they were at. And show them a great grace and a great mercy. And we even kind of talked about some of the places we see them further on in Israel's history. They didn't become part of Israel, but they were amongst them. And there were many of them that came to full on faith in the Lord. But they did come with a fear and God met them where they were at, though they came with a deception. And remember, they pretended to be someone else from somewhere else. And they disguised themselves. And they showed up hoping that Israel would make peace with them knowing that or believing they weren't of these nations that were under a judgment so they came with that deception and boy they had a song and a dance and you know it was like a wolf in sheep's clothing and so forth and they questioned you know how do we know you're not one of our neighbors and they said well look at our shoes are worn out and our bread's moldy and so forth and they offered some gifts and kind of said the right thing and we saw that that joshua and israel they didn't inquire of the lord and because they didn't inquire of the Lord, they didn't really, you know what, fully vet this and so forth, they got deceived. And really, they made a covenant with a people group they should have not made covenant with. Now, afterwards, we know that they begin to learn who they were, and the people complained against the leaders. They absolutely erred in this big time. But at that point, they had made a covenant with them. And instead of, you know what, having one wrong and another, they said, look at we got to honor our word to them. We made a covenant with them. We'll make them servants here in, in Israel, and that's how it's going to be. Now, one other thing with this, when, you know, at the Gibeonites, when they, when they had a fear, though, there was a judgment on them. Listen, there was opportunity for repentance. And we talked about that, how Rahab was a Canaanite, and she repented. She saw the, the same type of fear was on her, and she said, you know what, I want to be saved. And she hid those spies and her faith was seen in that. And then remember, she went out and evangelized and her house was full. And when the walls of Jericho's fall, fell, Rahab's house was on that wall and it stood. And the Lord accepted her. And you see throughout the Old Testament, various Gentiles where it would even say this people group can't come in. People came from those groups in, whether it was Ruth, a Moabite, or um, again, Rahab or others, 
But the way they came in was with humility, with brokenness. You know, again, God set apart Israel for the whole world. That through Israel, the Savior would come to save the world. But it wasn't until Jesus came that they had to wait. Again, throughout the Old Testament, there's Gentiles that came. And if these Gibeonites had just come with an honesty and just said, Hey, we're your neighbors, but we fear God and we want to repent. It, it probably would have worked out better even for them. Because we know Rahab ended up being part of the genealogy of Jesus, Jesus Christ. These guys were servants until we kind of finished reading about them in the uh, Old Testament. And I really have to believe as well if they would have came honestly... If Joshua would again inquired of the Lord, hey Lord, they're here, we're supposed to judge them, but they're coming with a humility, how much better could have this looked? Because I really believe the Lord would have said, look it, have them come in, faith, have them circumcise the males as part of, uh, you know what, uh, uh, an outward uh, expression or entering into that covenant that would line up with our heart. And boy, it would have looked so much better. And I think really with it, the two main things we want to look at here is coming to the lord with an honesty and not thinking we have to manipulate god or manipulate a situation humility and truth is always so much better and sometimes people get in a place where they're in a jam and they're wanting out of that jam and there's even a brokenness in it and instead of just fully yielding and maybe coming clean if they need to come clean and just saying look at here i am and ultimately i don't even care what anyone thinks i just want to be right with god i'm ready to come before the lord with a brokenness that is always the best way it's always the best way versus saying, man, I really want to get out of this. Well, I want to come to the Lord, but I also need to manipulate the situation over here. I'll tell you, when you come to the Lord with an openness and honesty, a humility, ready to yield, he will always meet you where you are at. And that could have been the case for them. And then again, the deception would have been there, even though Joshua erred and not seeking the Lord. And I think this would have looked all different, but a lot of lessons we took out of the last chapter when it comes just to testing things, seeking the Lord. We always want to do that. We talked about deception and how many pictures of deception are there in the New Testament. So many examples Jesus gave of, of tares amongst the wheat or leaven in the lump or the, you know what, the birds in the tree of the kingdom of God. And we really looked at especially how in the last days he said these false teachers would increase. And we got to test all things. We got to test things first and foremost according to the scripture, doctrine. We got to test fruits, the Bible said, as well as, again, uh, seeking the Lord, seeking the Lord and asking just for spiritual discernment. And listen, with all that, that, that discernment and that testing always got to start with ourselves. Because if we're off and we're not grounded in the scripture, then guess what? Our math's going to be off in testing things. It's like Paul told Timothy. Pay attention to yourself and your doctrine, for in doing so, you'll save yourself and your listeners. So it's that thing, I want to I test my own fruit. What's my life look like? Is it lining up with Scripture and so forth? And I also want to test my doctrine. Is my doctrine sound? Is what I'm believing according to God's Word or according to my feelings? Do I give myself passes or do I manipulate Scripture in ways where it can benefit me leaning on my own understanding. It always starts with ourself. Again, sometimes people say, well, I'm a fruit inspector. And that, that's fine. That's biblical. But make sure you start judging your own fruit. Then we can actually have proper discernment. And listen, to do that, you got to be humble. And, and pride always will, will, will blind us to things. So, so much there. Now we come here into chapter 10. 
And we're just going to see here tonight that the other nations, these city nations that were there in, in, in Canaan, they saw what had happened. And we're going to see they knew that the Gibeonites were far greater than those in Ai and how they had made peace with Israel. And they come and gather together to form an alliance to come against the Gibeonites. And we'll talk about some of the you know, reasons for that. But ultimately, they were coming against the, the Gibeonites to try to send a message to anyone else who would want to try to make peace with Israel or Joshua, whose name is Yeshua in the Hebrew, which is also the name of Jesus Christ, Yeshua. And after making that covenant, we're going to see that Joshua could have very easily said, well, look, we made a deal with you here, but we're not going to go out and protect you. But instead, he keeps his word and he keeps his covenant. And it's beautiful because God keeps his covenants with us. And as Joshua will see, goes out to defend the Gibeonites who had just deceived them, but they went into covenant with Joshua. And again, I mean, how many of us, even when we came to Jesus, even broken us? We were so messed up. There were so many twisted things, but God received us when I just said, Lord, all I know is I messed up and I need, I need your help. Aren't you glad for that? That his grace is so good. And when there's a sincerity there, even with the Gibeonites, you can't argue. There's a sincerity, a sincerity there. Absolutely, the Lord meets us where we're at. And then when we become grafted into the family of God by grace through faith. And it's again, I'm a sinner. You are the Savior. I'm putting my faith in you. God is true to his covenants. And Joshua would be true to his covenant. And we're going to see how God would work this for great good for Israel. How God would honor greatly them keeping the word, even when it was so difficult, even when it was so easy for them to cut, bait, and run. And it's so true for us. We want to be a people who keep God's word with God's help, but also keep our word. And, and I talk about this often, and there's many scriptures on this. You know what? Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. And so often people, when things get a little difficult or, boy, I made a mistake and I said yes to correct this, but let me look for a way out. They think that's for their gain, but it, it never is. It's always to our demise. And we're going to see that real lesson in here as all these nations come against Israel. Joshua and Israel goes to, to, to battle them and God just goes before them. God just begins to rout the enemy. We're going to read about hailstones falling from heaven and the hailstones killed more people than Israel did. And then the day is getting long, and Joshua's like, we need more time, day, Lord, and we're going to see God literally making the sun stand still and literally making the moon stand still and God stretching all that time that was needed to get the task at hand done that was being unfolded because of their prayer and their obedience to the Lord. And again, we're going to look at the lesson. That, Do you need more time in your life? Do you need more time in your day? Well, listen, pray and obey and watch God stretch your hours. He absolutely will. So look at, that's where we've been, a little bit where we're going. Let's just start into this. Verse 1, Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai, <clears throat> excuse me, and, how, and, and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its mighty men. So again, the king of Jerusalem is full of fear because they've taken down two kings 
And this king greater and this, this city, state, nation greater than Ai has basically said, we surrender. We, we surrender. Now I want to talk a little bit before we go back to that. I want to talk a little bit about this king. And it's interesting, the city that he's king of, Jerusalem. Jerusalem was not in the hands of Israel at this point. There was a Canaanite nation there. We know later the Jebusites would be there in Jerusalem. Interesting though, this guy's name, Adonai Zeke, or Zeke, uh, Zedek, it means, typo in my notes, read the passage up there, I just see it. It means Lord of Justice. Lord of Justice, we know Adonai, Adonai is, a, is a name for the Lord, but Lord of Justice and yet he's a worshiper of demons and unjust practices. And this just popped out at me, you know, as I, I, I looked up, you know, what's the meaning of this guy's name, Adonai? Adonai, absolutely, you know, well, that's Lord, Lord of justice. And I just think it's hilarious because there's so many unrighteous kings and governors and rulers and mayors and, and, and people in high places who oversee people that take righteous titles, but they're completely wicked. And you see so much of it nowadays. And I think when you see it in the scripture, it can just remind you of what Solomon said being true. There's nothing new underneath the sun. It's funny because I, 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 I studied this the other day. And then today I saw a, a, an article with a clip of Lori Lightfoot, who is the mayor of Chicago. And you talk about a vile individual. A vile, vile individual who, who is completely pro, pro-abortion. Uh, and, and, and a black woman totally pro-abortion when abortion is genocide on black folks. Period. That is the main function behind it. Genocide on black folks. She is uh, married to another woman. Uh, not in God's eyes. She's with another woman. Um, I mean, th- this person is a God-hater. Even all the murders... There are so many murders that take place in Chicago that just so much greater than these mass shootings. They're all horrible, but there's no addressing of it. And guess what? For the most part, it's black folk again. This is a complete God-hater, yet this past weekend, she was at a church in Chicago. The pastor is a contributor to the Gospel Coalition. As I've been speaking about them, John Piper and Timothy Keller, these guys that are uh, theistic evolutionists, that are beginning to promote homosexuality within the body of Christ. This guy's a member of the gospel coalition. And guys like Alistair Begg and others need to leave the gospel coalition. A member of the gospel coalition. Guess who did the sermon at his church? Lori Lightfoot. And she gets up there and starts talking and so forth. And then turn in your Bibles, my jaw drop. Turn in your Bibles. And made a joke. You didn't think I'd come up here and not open up scriptures. You, I, I just immediately thought of Odin I Zedek. You know what, Lord of Justice, when this is an unjust worshiper of devils and unjust practices. And here's in this church, these folks laughing and praising and so forth. I'm thinking, is there anyone born again in this fellowship? Is there anyone that even knows Jesus, that even knows the gospel? Are you so even, you know, connected by surfacey things that you can't see the depth of this woman does not, not only not own Christ, but it, it's an, she's an abomin, lives an abominable life. Now, again, can she repent and get saved? Yes. But I'll tell you, the, the, the enemy loves to, to, to even mock God in taking people in those places 
and trying to give them a, a, an outward righteousness about them. It was funny. She said, turn to Deuteronomy, but she didn't even, she, 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 she said something like, I, I can't even pronounce it because she pronounced it so wrong. Kind of like remember when uh, Biden said, turn to palms. <laughs> like, what are you talking about, bro? Turn, turn to the book of palms. You just see it, though. And we know at one point, though, again, Jerusalem actually means city at peace. And at one point earlier, you know, we know at least 450, 500 years earlier, there actually was a righteous king in Jerusalem. His name was Melchizedek. And we know Christ is of the priesthood of Melchizedek. And remember after Abraham had gone and rescued the king of Sodom and five other wicked kings because they had been taken captive and Lot was with them, Abraham and his men went and rescued them. And then the king of Salem, the king of peace, Melchizedek, came out and he brought communion. And Abraham took communion with the king of Melchizedek, Christ being of the priesthood of Melchizedek. Some believe that is an actual manifestation of Christ in the Old Testament. We, we, we don't know that for sure, but we know the king of Jerusalem, again, was a godly king. And Abraham... And Melchizedek was a witness to all these countries under judgment. Sodom itself, you know, a, a, a firsthand picture of the Lord, even offering peace. 500 years have passed, and these nations have gone deeper and deeper and deeper in their sin, and they're completely unashamed. And it's to the point now where a man who worships devils, unjust practices, the occult witchcraft and everything, has the nerve to say, but I'm the Lord of justice. And you see this going on in our country where there's things just that are just completely vile and wicked. And yet people come along and say, but I'm a Christian practicing all these things. And they hardly even get called out. And then you see it even places where the pastor says he's a member of the gospel coalition or contributes to that. And everyone goes along with it. The, people need to wake up. <laughs> they need to wake up. But you see, you, you can see through this threads and you can see how the enemy works. There's nothing new underneath the sun. We also know again this city of peace. It's where Christ died and rose again from the grave for our peace. We know it's the place where Jesus is coming back and will establish an eternal peace. And yet the city of Jerusalem has been a place of great turmoil and sin at the same hand, same time. We know it'd be in Canaanite hands until David would come in and finally take it from the Jebusites. And they said, "Look, we are in such a fortress." And Jerusalem is so strategically placed, you ascend up to Jerusalem, and just the way the geography is and so forth, it's, it's, it's a place that's very hard to penetrate. And they even mocked David. They said, no one can come in here. Well, there was a guy named Joab who's quite a character. He went up the water shaft, and they took Jerusalem as it was appointed by the Lord for them to have that. Sadly, we know that over in, in the course of history, Israel and Judah, they would, they would keep being influenced by these Canaanites because they would never fully eradicate them from the land. And eventually they would go into a captivity. But again, we talked about it so much. It's so much, so prophetic. God has brought Israel back into that land in these last days. And we know Zechariah 2, or excuse me, 12, 2 says, God in the last days will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness or a cup of trembling. And indeed it is, all the things that center around Israel and trying to get peace in the middle. Every president in my lifetime, we're going to get peace in the Middle East. 
There'll be one who will make peace in the Middle East. His name is Jesus Christ. It's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ, not a Trump or a Biden or Obama or you name the guy. It will be the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also interesting, though, in the Revelation, in the Tribulation, and it's even true right now that Jerusalem is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. But again, Christ will come back. Christ will clean that up. And absolutely, the Lord Jesus Christ will bring an eternal peace and rule and reign from there for a thousand years. And then a new heaven and a new earth, and he will reign from spiritual Israel forever. And so just some things, just looking at this and considering it, that just kind of were pressed on my heart. This king, though, that calls himself Lord of Justice, greatly feared this going on. Sadly, though, it wasn't a fear of God. You know, again, the Gibeonites went about things the wrong way, but absolutely, they had a fear of, more of a, of, of a fear of God, it seems, to say, we, we, we don't want to battle against this. How, how can we yield to it? How can we make something happen? The, 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 and they were fine with, if we're, I'd, they're also, they're basically like, I'd rather be a servant of, of God than die. That seemed like what their attitude was. This king, though, his fear was more about losing his kingdom than a fear of God. And I think about how the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 7.10, it talks about godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And it's really the same with fear. Fear of God produces repentance, but fear of just losing our comfort here or losing our little kingdoms here and so forth it produces death. Because remember the Lord said, if you want to follow after me, deny yourself. Be willing to go, okay, I'm going to lay this, lay down whatever. I want to be a follower of the Lord. And he said, in that you'll gain your life. But if you hold on to all of this, and you say, well, I don't want to come to the Lord because I don't want to fear, fear I don't want to, I don't want to, I fear losing a good time. I fear losing all my pursuits, all my riches and everything I've stacked up. He said, you're going to lose all that. Versus saying, I'm going to seek God and let God unfold for me what he wants for me. And boy, does not God bless his people? Come on. He blesses us richly. I mean, to know I'm in God's hands and God's economy. So again, we want to fear the Lord, not fear losing this, that, or the other. Trust in God and watch him go before you. His plan for you is so much better than yours. It's so much better than mine. Verse 3, it says, Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to uh, Homan, king of Hebron, uh, Piram, king of Jarmuth, uh, Japhia, king of La- uh, Laxus, and Debrai, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. So again, they turned to other men to aid them. Really, the king of Jerusalem at this point it very much looks like a foreshadow of the Antichrist at the end of the age who will set up in Jerusalem. And what will he do? He'll make an alliance with other nations to ultimately try to destroy Israel and try to destroy Jerusalem. You'll see these prophetic patterns in Scripture. And then notice here as well, let's attack Gibeon for it's made peace with Joshua or you could say, let's attack Gibeon because they've made peace with Yeshua. Again, Joshua, Jesus, it's the same Hebrew name. Let's attack him because they've made peace with Yeshua. And let me tell you, when you made peace with Jesus Christ, have you made peace with Jesus tonight? 
Is he your Lord and Savior? You got an enemy that says, let's go attack him because they're at peace with Yeshua. They're at peace with Jesus Christ. The spiritual war game, it ups when you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen, there's good news. Don't, oh no, the devil's coming after me. Because when Yeshua is your champion and going before you, you got nothing to worry about. You got nothing to worry about. Verse 5, therefore five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up. And they and all their armies camped before Gibeon to make war against us. Now again, they're attacking Gibeon. I, I have to believe this is in part to try to send a message to any others. Hey, if you make peace with Yeshua, Joshua, and again, the application for us would be you want to make peace with Jesus, you need to know you're going to get attacked. We're going to come after you if you make peace Ultimately, it's with through Joshua, the God of Israel, we're coming after you. And listen, I've seen many, many people over the years say, well, I don't want to come to the Lord because i got an understanding of spiritual warfare. I don't want that. I've had people straight up tell me, well, I want to be saved and I believe in Jesus, but I don't want to serve the Lord because the spiritual warfare is too much. It's just too much. I, I, I remember for years of my own life, the enemy keeping me, and though ultimately it was on me, from really following the Lord because I felt like he left me alone when I was deep in sin. And when I started to say, I want to follow the Lord, these attacks would just come in my mind all day, in my heart all day, just a barrage of demonic firepower and, and fiery darts and so forth. And, and he tries to intimidate like that. He absolutely does. Uh, you know, the Lord even talks about, you know, the sower of the seeds. And it says some of those seeds fall on, on, on soil. And is it the thorny or the, the rocky soil? I think it's the rocky soil. They don't have a depth. And persecution comes and immediately they wither. And part of that persecution is, is a spiritual one. Where, oh, you want to follow the Lord? Then I'm going to bring out the big guns. I'm going to come after you. Look at Maybe you're in that place tonight. Maybe a new believer or you're coming back to the Lord. Maybe you've been here every week for the last five years, but you've been backslidden in heart. And recently you said, I want to follow the Lord and you're filling the heat. Press on because Jesus will go before you. Amen. It's a season you're going to work through and God's going to work in you as you work through that season. Notice again what Jesus said in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. And part of that tribulation will be spiritual warfare. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. God will go before you. Look at this. Also seems, again, this is just, as, as I'm looking at this and see what they're going, what's going on here. It seems that they're attacking Gibeon as well to bait Israel to come out and fight them on their terms and on their timeline. Because at this point, Israel has been the aggressor. They're the ones that have basically dictated the battlefield and the timeline and so forth. And it just seems like these kings are trying to create difficult circumstances for Israel. And there's times when, you know, God will allow the enemy to come in and create difficult circumstances for us. We've all experienced that before. But here's the thing. God, God's greater than any circumstance. <laughs> 
God's greater than any timeline. I mean, generally, spiritual warfare never comes at a convenient time, does it? Difficulties, trials, and tribulations. Oh, you know, this is the perfect time for this because, you know what? I really got nothing going on. God's greater than all of that. He can meet you where you're, he'll meet you where you're at every single time. In fact, as you, I, you know, it comes to my mind, even in the Exodus, you know, they're out in the wilderness and they're leaving. And what would the enemy do? He'd come in from the back and he would attack those that, that were weaker and so forth. Again, trying to create a, a, a difficulty for them in that place, as well as others coming in, defending them. It's, again, those things never come at a convenient time, but God's greater than all of them. Now notice verse 6. And the men, of, the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua, or Yeshua, at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So they're calling out to Joshua, or Yeshua, but we call out to Yeshua, or again, Jesus Christ. Joshua is a type of Jesus. He's not Jesus, but we see them calling up to Yeshua, and he is a type of Jesus in this passage. They're calling out to him. We call out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, always put first, what do I do? I call out to Jesus. What do I do in trials, tribulation? I call out to Jesus. And it should be, what do I do when I get up? I call out to Jesus. What do I do out throughout the day? I call out to the Lord. What do I do before I go out to bed? I call out to the Lord. Notice Psalm 57 too. I will cry out to God most high, to God who performs all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches, I love this, he reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Isn't that awesome? Boy, the devil, again, in Peter, he talks about this. The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we're learning here, call out to God and God will reproach that one who wants to devour you. God will put a shame on him. God will fight him back. Psalm 107, 27. And there's so many passages like this. It says, they reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits end. And boy, that's a description of sometimes in the midst of trials and tribulations and persecutions and spiritual warfare. But notice 28. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble and he brings them out of their distresses. I love it, pluralized. And calms the storm so that its waves are still. Call out to the Lord. Call out to the Lord. They're calling out to Joshua. We call out to Jesus. And it's real simple. Do not forsake your servants. They're like, we made a covenant. We're your servants. Don't forsake us. Come up quickly. Save us and help us. And then all these kings from the mountains, they're gathering against us. Don't forsake us. Aren't you glad Jesus said, I'll never leave you? I will never forsake you. In fact, let's just read that in Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself, Jesus Christ has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I love it. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can he do to me? It's, it's, it's of utmost importance that we have these truths in our heart. Again, we're living a day of, of, of threat. I mean, the devil gets so much done just through threats, just through staring up fears and so forth. And if we can stand fearing the Lord and trusting in the Lord, it will save us from taking so many temptations 
that is just a bait to put a snare in our walk with the Lord and our witness. It's so important we fear God. We honor God first, that we don't give in to these tactics. Verse 7, so Joshua ascended from Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and the mighty men of valor. When I read that Joshua ascended from Gilgal, I just thought of Jesus ascended from heaven. You know, the Lord, I'm calling out to the Lord. Here comes the Lord. Here comes the Lord to fight my battles, to go before me. And I love this because Joshua is true to his word to them. I remember after he made the covenant, the peanut gallery, the people criticized him, criticized the leaders. And look, they had made a mistake for sure. They, 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 they did not seek the Lord. But how did they correct that? They didn't correct that through making another one or rebelling more. But they just said, look, we made a mistake. It was a repentance before God and admitting that. And they said, we made a covenant with them, so we're going to keep our covenant with them. We're going to keep our word to them. And praise God, he keeps his covenants with us. But at this point, I think it would have been pretty easy for Joshua to go, look, we made a covenant with you that you would be our servants, and we wouldn't kill you, but we didn't make a covenant to defend you. Though in a way they did. Because they were their servants. They had attached themselves to Israel. And Israel had allowed them to attach themselves to them through that covenant. And I love it because Joshua doesn't even hesitate. And when we're in covenant with the Lord. And we we truly cry out as they are here with a humility. Lord, I need you. Lord, don't forsake us. Lord, come and help us. We need you now. God doesn't hesitate. He absolutely comes to the aid of his people, to the aid of his children. He is true to his word. And there's a truth for us. We're to be imitators of the Lord, are we not? Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I think it would have been easy for Joshua to say, this will be to our demise if we keep our word. We got too much going on over here. There's too much to manage. I'm trying to oversee these 2 million people. We got our next battle plans. We don't got time for you. It will be to our, again, demise if we help you. But instead, he went out to do what he needed to do. And it would be to his gain. It would be to his aid. Psalm 15, 4. It says, In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors those who fears the Lord. This is speaking of the Lord. And hear this, hear this tonight. He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That is a picture of fearing God. And God says, I honor that. When you give your word to someone, I'm going to do this, that, or the other. Now again, sometimes circumstances are such that, that you just can't. Hey, I'm going to come fix your roof. You break your back, you're kind of out of your hands there. But so many times, people do not keep their word because they say, if I do this, it's going to be to my own hurt. I got all these other things to do and so forth. And it's in me first. And he's saying here, when you do this, you are honoring God and you are fearing God. And it says here that God is going to honor you. This is huge. We want to be known as a people who keep our word. We live in a culture where so many people don't keep their word. It used to be, you know, in, 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 in times past, that keeping your word is an honorable thing. 
And I think so much today, it, it, it's not even looked at as, as a big deal when it is. And I'll tell you, isn't it so good to know that God always keeps his word to us? That we can read the scriptures and we know, as it says there in 2 Corinthians one twenty, his promises are yes and amen. So we need to pray, Lord, help us to be true to your word and absolutely to keep our word. Verse 8, and you'll see how God blesses him in this. You'll see this. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So again, Joshua in this, this is a bunch of armies. This isn't a a small troop coming against them. It could could have been very easy for Joshua to to say, look, it's inconvenient. There's too many of them. And God says, do not fear them. Again, I have already. Again, his promises are yes and amen. I've delivered them into your hand. So it's almost God saying, I know everything before it happens God seeing that timeline though it hadn't happened it had happened and we need to know that with those promises that he gives to us the glory of heaven Sunday we're going to talk about the inheritance we have in the Lord look at it hasn't happened but it has happened that's how the Lord works outside of time and space so I have delivered them into your hand and not a man of them shall stand before you so in other words don't fear them Fear me. Trust in me. And I'm not going to read it, but it's great reading there. Romans 8, 31 through 39. And it just starts off, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then it just goes through a list of all these things that come against us or can come against us. And yet it says there at the end that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God wants us to have these truths in our heart. And to function with these truths before us. God is going before me. I don't need to fear men. If I'm fearing God, I don't need to fear men. If I'm not fearing God, then there's a whole lot of things that I should fear. Verse 9. Joshua therefore came up suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes to Beth Horon and struck them down as far as uh, Azekah and Makeda. And so this is interesting. They marched all night. They marched all night, but the Lord empowered them to now go engage in the battle. You need to know that God's strength will always triumph over our fatigue. There's times when you get fatigued, don't you? Sometimes we just get fatigued practically. We got a lot on our plate. There's a lot going on. You get fatigued, but there's more that needs to get done. Again, there's a place to rest for sure. But sometimes things need to just get done. Sometimes you give your word and you're like, I'm so fatigued. I don't feel like I can keep my word because I'm so fatigued. God's strength is greater than our fatigue. I've just seen so many times where I felt physically spent. And it's like, but we have to do this. And the Lord gives the strength necessary to get done what needs to get done. And again, then there's other times when it's a time of rest. So God is greater than our fatigue. And listen, God's always is greater than our fatigue spiritually as well. 
Do you ever feel like you're burnt out praying for someone or trying to minister to a situation? Now, there's sometimes when the Lord says, look, trust them to me. You've done your part. I'm releasing you from this. It's in my hands. But there are other relationships and so forth that we are the one called to intercede. Parents, you ever feel fatigued when it comes to praying for the spiritual well-being of your children? For those listening on home, a big moan just went through the room. You feel fatigued. I'll tell you, the devil will work hard to try to move you from no longer praying or even to fatigue you to, to, to come to a place where your prayers are not fervent. Where you're praying, but you're not praying with faith. He'll try to whittle you down to a place of being defeated because we've done this so long. And I'm going to tell you, that's when you look to the Lord and say, oh God, I need your strength. Strengthen me. And I'll tell you, that's where it's wonderful to be in the word of God because you'll see all these pictures of God strengthening his people and strengthening them for the battle. I just read, I'm, I've been going through, through uh, Chronicles and I might have already touched on this. It just so resonated in my heart. David's going out. He's, he's, he's king now over Israel and Judah. And the Philistines are coming out against him. And he inquires of the Lord, Lord, what should we do? And God says, you go out against them. And it's so, it so encouraged my heart. That simple truth so encouraged my heart. People say, well, God spoke to me and said, and like, well, that's not really biblical. God speaks to you through the Bible. Get in the Bible. And the truth there was the enemy's coming against you. Don't retreat. Go out and meet them on the battlefield. Get down on your face and pray. And watch me go before you. He tells that to us throughout the word. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availed as much. That's God saying get on your face and pray and trust in me and watch me go before you. And we, we got to get stirred up in that. Again, the devil will try to get us to fatigue. And sometimes that's where you just got to encourage yourself in praise and prayer and worship and so forth and say, God, your servant needs your help. Give me a fresh unction, and he wants to bring it. And I love it. The Lord went out and routed them. The Lord went before them. And praise God, always remember the battle belongs to who? The Lord. I don't got time to look at all of it, but there, it just it came to my mind in 2 Chronicles 20, it's another situation like this. King Jehoshaphat has three nation armies that are coming against him. And God says, don't be afraid or dismayed. And he says, the battle's not yours, but God's. 2 Corinthians 20, verse 15. And then the Lord says to him through a prophet, in 2 Chronicles 20, 17, you will, you will not need to fight this battle. Then notice, position yourself Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Position yourself and then engage in the battle. How do I position myself for battle? On my knees before God, and then I rise up and go engage in the battle. That's the pattern. That's the pattern of spiritual warfare. That is the, the pattern of life that God has before us. Position yourself before God, before his word. Get strengthened by him. And then go out in the strength of the Lord and watch the Lord go before you. And he absolutely will. Verse 11. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horon 
The Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as uh, Azekah, and they died. And there are more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. This is God supernaturally moving. This isn't by happenstance or chance. And I, I get, I've talked about this. I get so irritated when people try to explain away the miracles of God. God's hand moved. Hellstones came down and killed more of these people than Israel did with the sword. In other words, I got, I, you know, I have a small sword. God's got a big sword. I think it was last Tuesday, we were, we were having our staff devotion, and boy, some hail came down. We're a little higher, we're about 300 feet higher than downtown, and hail came down. And those, those got started getting big. I was waiting for Andrew to go out, lay on his car, and go, no, as they were coming down. And God, God protected his car. God went before them. Just again, when we're facing, I think about David going down against Goliath. You know, he, he said, you come to me with sword and a spear and with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. God's going before us. God brought the victory. God, God did, they looked and they're like, oh boy, God goes before us. It's so exciting even when you're walking with the Lord because you see God go and make ways and do things that you're like, this is the Lord. This is the Lord. And it builds your faith in the Lord. You praise for God. And you know, it, 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 have those testimonies of, boy, look what the Lord's doing. There, there's been more than one very recent in the last week of, of people in our fellowship where, where cancers that were supposed to be there aren't there anymore. Amen. And lumps that were supposed to be there, they're, they're not there anymore. And those people are saying, you know what? I just came, got prayed for, we prayed, God moved. Verse 12, then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, sun stand still over Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ahijolon. So they've marched all night. Now they've battled all day. The sun is about to set. And Joshua's like, we need more time because when the darkness comes, we're not going to be able to see where they are. They, they didn't have lit up parking lots and cities and so forth. They're going to be able to scatter out. So Lord, we need the sun to stand still. We need for the day to be extended. I think it would have been easy for Joshua in the flesh to ease off. We've marched all day, we've battled all, marched all night, we've battled all day, we've done enough, let's go and rest. What came to my mind is Proverbs 24, 33, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands of the rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Or what Jesus said in John 9, 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while I say the night is coming when no one can work. There's a time of rest coming. It's not to say that we don't need times of rest here on earth, but some people, all oh, the emphasis is on rest. And there's some days, you, in some seasons, you just got to forge forward. You just got to press on. 
I read something really cool the other day about Jack Chick. We have all those Chick, Chick tracks. We, we give away a bunch of their books in the bookstore. You talk about a faithful man of God in all the years of ministry. That guy was willing to stay up, stand up and say things that no one else would say. Over a billion of those tracks have been printed and distributed in the world. He's the most published author in the history of the world outside of the Bible itself. One billion. Our church has probably given away quarter million of those maybe in the years we go through a lot of those praise god but i read that he had a plaque on his desk that said most of the things that get done in the world are done by tired people and that's so cool and that guy labored until he passed in his 90s i believe it was there's a time to rest but don't make your life all about rest make it all about rest i think there's a lot of pastors they hit their prime and they retire bro that's when again we we, we should forge forward all the more all the more you get to this point you finally realize all the mistakes you made in the back and if i had a time machine i could go back we're just getting going now we're just getting going so again they forge forward um god went before them and then notice verse 13 he prayed out no doubt this was a prophetic prayer. This wasn't just Joshua commanding God. This was a prophetic prayer put in his spirit. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped. I'll trip out on that. Till the people had revenge upon their enemies. This is not written in the book of Jasher. So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there's not been no and there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Guys, this is a miracle. God can lengthen days, shorten days. We know in the last days it says he'll shorten the days. That's just talking about the number of days or the elect or Israel will be wiped out. This is him literally lengthening a day now what i find interesting about this is some people will say the bible's not a book of science and i say hogwash the bible is loaded with science the six-day creation account is exactly how god did it 100 percent. there's so many scientific truths in the scripture go start studying the levitical law Start start reading about microbiology before men even had a stinking clue about it god's word is loaded with science that is real science he said the earth stood or he, he didn't say the earth stood still he said the month, the sun and the moon stood still now some people come to this and they say well let's explain this away i find it super interesting and i don't want to just excuse it because there's a lot of people that say well, this is science and they say your mama's an ape and it's like bro that's a lie that's not scriptural and that's not scientific and i'll just say this look at i don't want to excuse god's word away because god's word is accurate this is what god's word says a lot of this stuff it just is what it is i don't know but I do know this, there's a lot of things that I'm told are true that I don't observe and I don't see and can't be observed in science and can't be observed in nature. Because I've still yet to see something come from nothing if the hand of God is not involved in that. I've never seen an explosion bring forth order and I've never seen an ape give birth to a human 
And you can, you, can, you can be a male and say you're a female all day and you're a male at the end of the day. God made time stop. He made the sun stop. He made the moon stop. But here's the bigger important thing. Look at it was the fruit of prayer and obedience. Do you need more time? Pray and obey and God will stretch your day. That sounds like a good chorus for a song. Pray and obey and God will stretch your day. And I love it. It says there was no day like it before or after. I, like, I, I think that should be a model for every single day. One thing I learned early on in ministry, I don't want to ever take a Wednesday off. I don't ever want to take a Sunday off. I ain't taking any sermons off. Because that might be that one day I took, I got lazy that week. I took that day off. I didn't come with an unction. I didn't study to show myself approved. And that person was there that was going to get saved. Don't take days off. In the midst of all the construction and so forth, it's like, get it ready for Sunday. Get it ready for Wednesday. We're going to be in order. It's going to be hospitable. Some things might be out of order on some days out there that we just can't handle. But we're going to do our best. We do not take days off. I tell people with youth and kids, don't take a day off. Don't take a Sunday off. Don't go, I didn't study this lesson, so let me just show up and we'll, we'll play a little game. Do not take days off. That might be the day that kid's there who's only going to be there one time in Sunday school all of his childhood and he needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't take days off. Even on a rest day, we don't take it off. Then Joshua would return and all Israel with them to the camp of Gilgal before these five kings had, and the, but these five kings had fled and hid themselves at the came of Makedah. Uh, and it was told Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden at the cave of Makedah. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard it. Scripture talks about if you dig a hole for someone else, you'll fall in it. You roll a stone against someone, it's going to roll on you. These guys stirred this up, and now they're feeling the sting of the hand of the Lord. Another note here, leaders should not be hiding in caves. They should be out on the battlefield. Verse 19, you know, king of, where's the king of justice? He's hiding in that cave. Isn't that pretty typical of so much of today? Verse 19, and do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies. Again, get away from the cave. Go perceive the, per, per, pursue the enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till they had finished that, uh, that those who escaped entered fortified cities. So again, they had to be spent, that they, but they pressed on until they had finished. Bible talks about a finish line for us. Paul said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I'll tell you, it helps when you purpose in your heart. I'm following Jesus, come what may. No matter what comes, I'm following Jesus all my days. I think there's too many people that don't take that mindset on. And they got a year of this difficulty and that and this uprising. And it, you, you see it all over. And I, I don't know the heart of the person, but, you know, they're not walking with the Lord. We should purpose in our heart, all my days, I will follow Jesus, come what may. He is the king. That's where life is found. My life is short-lived, and I don't want to take days off, weeks off, months off, and for sure, I don't want to take no years off. Verse 19, 
or excuse me, verse 21. And all the people returned to the camp to Joshua at Makedada in peace. No one moved his tongue against the children of Israel. Satan and his ministers love to move their tongues against the people of God. Has anyone ever noticed that? He's the accuser of the brethren. But when you pray and obey and press on, God brings victory, peace, and he shuts the enemy's mouth. I've seen so many times over the years where slanderers want to, you know what, slander. And I have found that when you humble your heart, you pray and you seek the Lord, that's the best way to shut the mouth of a slanderer by forging forward because the fruit will always be seen when you forge forward in the Lord Jesus Christ. And time and time again, it completely, you know what, it completely will expose that slander as a lie and will empower the effort and whatever reason is behind that slander to come against the work of the Lord. That's why the best thing to do is just, when you're being slandered, especially for the cause of Christ, humble your heart before God. If there's any truth to it, own up to it. Do what you need to do. Pray and press forward in God. Look, at a, a tactic of the enemy in that is to get, go caught up in the slander, get caught up in Jesus Christ and watch the Lord go before you. Verse 22. So Joshua said, open the mouth of the cave. Bring out those, where I'm going to speed read. Bring out those five kings to me from the cave. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave. The king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, Jermoth, Lashes, and Eglon, uh, Eglon, and so it was when they brought out those kings to Joshua that Joshua called for all the men of Israel and to the captives of the men of war and went with them. Come near, put your feet on the neck of these kings. And they drew near and put their feet on the necks. That's a picture of a defeated foe. God's foot is on the enemy's neck. Verse 25, and Joshua said to them, do not be afraid nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. We've heard those words before in this book. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Take that into your heart tonight. Take that into your heart. Put your eyes on the Lord and do not fear. Satan always wants you to flee. God always says, stand courageously and trust in me. Afterwards, Joshua struck them and killed them and hanged hanged them on five trees. And they were hanging on the tree until evening. And so it was at the time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, and they took them down from the tree, cast them into the cave where they had been hidden, and laid a large stone against the cave's mouth, until the re, until, and which, remains, uh, which remain until this very day. You'll see pictures of this throughout the Old Testament of individuals getting hung. It was always, these guys are already dead, they're doing this, because the Bible says, cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. They did this because they said, this is going to take the curse off the lamb. We touched on it last week. In 2 Samuel 21, later on, King Saul is oppressing the Gibeonites. A famine comes on Israel. Seven sons of Saul that were part of this were hung on a tree and it lifted the famine. It lifted the curse off the land. Does this sound familiar at all? There's a man named Jesus Christ who was hung on a tree to take the curse off of you. These are pictures of Jesus. You're like, well, wait a minute. These men are evil. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He was numbered with 
transgressors. He was hung on a tree, put in a cave. But guess what? He's not there to this day. He's resurrected from the grave. The real king of Jerusalem. Scriptures there for you. You can read them. Now listen. We're almost done. Verse 28 through 41. I'm not going to read. You can read that. It's there before you. There's a phrase that keeps coming up. In fact, we'll read verse 28. On that day, Joshua, it's a recap of everything that happened on that day. It's a lot got done on that day. Joshua took uh, Makeda and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them and all the people who were in it. And he let none remain. And you'll see that phrase over and over and over again. It varies a little bit. Down through verse 41. And what do we see what happened? He used his sword until the enemy was utterly destroyed we need to be in god's word we talked a lot about the enemy the 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 spiritual war that we're in that's gonna that's gonna rage until you go to be with jesus in fact drawing near to jesus is gonna heat up but we got another enemy our flesh and sin and it has been defeated and positionally right with god but practically God wants us to take back and go before us to restore what the locusts have eaten and be in that place, not out of a self-righteousness, not out of a law, but wanting to walk in the law of liberty to say, I want to eradicate my life of selfishness, of, of self-centeredness, of, of just a hedonistic viewpoint of, of my five senses and living like I once did. I want victory over those things, not for self-piety or to look down on others, but, but to live for the glory of God and get these things out of my life that grieve the Spirit of God. Verse 42, All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Isn't that awesome? Then Joshua returned and all Israel with them to the camp at Gilgal. God stretched those days. God brought the victory. So, so many applications for us here. Let's cry out to the Lord, amen. Amen. Let's press on in the Lord, have faith in the Lord. I'm gonna pray and then then talk about the chairs and then we'll, we'll go from there. Lord, we just praise you and give you glory. We thank you for this time here tonight. We thank you for your word. It's so rich and so good. We just thank you, Lord, that, that, Lord, you keep your covenants with us. We thank you for your faithfulness. Let us be found of people growing in the fear of God. And Lord, not be found of people fearing men or the enemy, but trusting in you, looking to you. Oh, Lord, I know there's a lot of needs in this room tonight. Lord, meet those needs. Go before us. Build our faith, our trust in you. We thank you that we have victory in Jesus Christ. And oh, Lord God, we just thank you, God, that you're coming soon. We praise you, give you glory. If you're here and you haven't called upon Christ, today's the day of salvation. Jesus was hung on that tree to take the wrath to us upon himself, to take the curse that we were under because of our sin upon himself and defeat it through him laying down his sinless life, paying the penalty of our sin in that and defeating death when he rose from the grave. If he's not your Lord, you need to get saved today. You need to humble your heart and call upon Christ and ask him to be the Lord of your life. He will meet you where you are at. We praise and bless you and we pray these things in Jesus' name and we said together, Amen. Amen. Listen, before you guys get up,